Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, clearing his voice to start this recording. Welcome to the tent. Uh, another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, we're on this kick about how things in the hobby continuously evolve. So it was sort of an obvious thing to me to talk about how some of our common aquarium practices have changed over time as new ideas and techniques creep in. I had a few things on my mind, and one in particular. With so much emphasis on keeping our fishes as healthy as possible for as long as possible, it's only obvious that stuff like breeding them and rearing the fry that came come about would evolve with time too. It's the rearing of fry that strikes me as something that we as botanical style aquarium people can have some impact on. It all starts with food, right? For pretty much as long as I can remember in the hobby, we've cultured living organisms to feed our fry after hatching. And if you've been in the hobby more than a few years, you've likely heard of this valuable, easy-to-culture live food called infusoria. Remember that word? A classic. It's one of those aquarium world catch-alls, a sort of throwback, if you will, from a gentler, kinder area in aquaristics, the 1950s and early 60s. A time when undergravel filters, freeze-dried foods, and airmail of exotic tropical fishes from Florida to your local airport were considered seriously badass, state-of-the-art, cutting-edge things. A time when great progress was being made in the hobby. Infusoria may be described as a real catch-all for small aquatic organisms like euglenids, protozoa, unicellular algae, tiny invertebrates that are commonly found in freshwater environments like ponds, creeks, and drainage ditches, used as first food for tropical fish fry. Sometimes it's referred to as green water in older hobby literature and even in more endearing, albeit kind of vague, descriptor. In modern formal biological classification, the term infusoria is considered an antiquated obsolete descriptor, essentially an overgeneralization as most of the organisms previously included in that collective term infusoria are assigned to a different assemblage of taxonomic groups. Sad but true. Nonetheless, it's a charming term that is still you know, used widely in aquarium circles to describe the tiny organisms that arrive when you soak some blanched lettuce, vegetable skin, or other plant matter in a jar of water. They're perfectly sized for young tropical fish fry as the first food when they're free semming. In fact, at around 25 to 300 microns, these organisms are consumable by most fishes as soon as they've absorbed their yolk sac. Yummy! Well, if you're a fish, that is. Sounds good, but how do you make this stuff? Well, traditionally, it was done in the most low-tech way, which, you know, I love. I love that kind of stuff. You take some blanched lettuce leaves, a few old flower clippings, hay, etc., etc. You basically let this stuff decompose in a jar of water in your windowsill, and after a few days, a smelly solution of cloudy water will arise, driven by bacteria. Ultimately, after a few more days, if your significant other doesn't make you throw it away, the water will start clearing when creatures like paramecium and euglena arrive on the scene via spores present in the air and consume this rampant bacteria population, and it doesn't smell as much anymore, if not at all. Voila! In theory, you have an infusoria culture. Like modern magic, huh? Like fuck sea monkeys, this shit's free. Well, yeah, but the problem is the density of desirable animals to just plain old water is pretty low when you culture this way. And you'll most likely be feeding your hungry fry with drops of stagnant water and not much more. Kind of yucky and sort of inefficient at best. The more modern approach would be to obtain a pure starter culture of paramecium from an online biological supply house. And yeah, there's plenty of them, just Google it. 
paramecium average about oh, 150 microns in size. It's perfect for free-swimming tropical fish fry. You can use the aforementioned decomposing lettuce as a starter. You can elect to be a little bit more clean and modern and use brewer's yeast, which comes in the tablets uh, that you'd use at a rate of like a half a tablet to a liter of water. Sure, there's probably more exact numbers out there and better recipes, but this is a hobby, right? And I'm sharing what worked for me, so your mileage may vary, as they say. You'd also want to grab a few grains of wheat, or which you can get at the local health food store or supermarket for that matter, to help kick start things. Don't overdo it either, as you'll end up with this more stinky culture as a result. And in the hobby, life balance, stinky equals bad. Trust me on that. Now, you might notice a little scum, that's another technical term, on the surface, and perhaps a bit of an odor to the water. But if you're an aquarist, you know, you're used to smelly, wet stuff, right? And the water will certainly take on a bit of a faint brownish or very light greenish color, which is totally normal for this. And I mean, when has any kind of tint to the water bothered us, right? After about four or five days, you should take a few drops of water from your culture, you know, beneath the surface scum, and examine them under a bright light with a magnifier. You'll be able to see some little tiny sliver-like things, and I know, very scientific descriptor, wiggling around in the water. If you're hardcore like me, you look at them under your cool hobby microscope, go on Google and try to figure out what these things are. It's totally fun. This tells you it's time to rock and roll. You could feed your baby tetras, your barbs, whatever right away by dropping like 40 to 50 milliliters of the culture solution into your five-gallon rearing tank. It's classic. It's actually no big deal if you add more because these little organisms are harmless and would naturally be found in the water with the fishes, albeit at a lower density. Since you're doing regular water exchanges in your rearing tank, you can maximize you know, the, the amount of food while minimizing pollution along the way. You feed it several times a day and you'll be surprised how quickly the fry learn to recognize and attack them. Sure, there's not all that much involved in the process of raising and utilizing infusoria, not that much more than we've outlined here. Cultures of paramecium are used extensively in labs to rear new larval fishes because they're an economical, nutritious option for free-swimming fishes to feed on. Old school cool. So like so many things in the hobby, the approach may have changed, but the idea remains the same. Using whatever means we have at our disposal to create the best possible outcomes for our fish efforts. Bricolage, remember? Now, no discussion of rearing our little fishes would be complete without revisiting the idea of a botanical-influenced nursery for blackwater fishes or, or whatever types of fishes. You know where I'm going with this, no doubt, right? I think it's interesting for a number of reasons. First, as we've discussed many times, the humic substances and other compounds associated with leaves and other botanicals when released into the water are known to have beneficial health impact on fishes. The potential for antimicrobial and antifungal effects is well documented by science and it's quite real. Would this be something worth investigating from our kind of unique angle? I think so. Additionally, rearing young fishes in this type of environmental condition especially the conditions that they'll likely spend the rest of their lives under, just makes sense. Having to acclimate young fishes to unfamiliar or different conditions, however beneficial they might be, is still stressful on them. So why not be consistent with the environment from day one? When a botanical-style fry-rearing system with its abundant decomposing leaves, biofilms, and microbial population be a benefit? This is the aspect that we're going to focus on most here because it ties to the infusoria thing. The breakdown and decomposition of various botanical materials provides a very natural supplemental food source for young fishes both directly, as in the case of fishes such as wooding and catfishes, etc., and indirectly, as they graze on these algal films, biofilms, fungi, and small crustaceans, which inhabit the botanical bed in the aquarium. They can essentially be knee-deep in food at all times. A fascinating concept, in my opinion. Now, this is pretty interesting stuff to me. Now, everyone has their own style of fry rearing. Some folks like bare-bottom tanks, some prefer densely planted tanks, etc. I'm not proposing that the idea of rearing young fishes in botanical-style blackwater aquariums with leaves and seed pods and stuff uh, is, is the only way to do it. But that's what I'm proposing that we try. The physically and functionally um, 
different, the physical and functional differences in this type of system mimic, at least to some extent, the habitats in which many young fishes grow up in. My thinking is that decomposing leaves or twigs will not only provide material for the fishes to feed on and among, they'll provide a natural shelter for them as well, potentially eliminating or reducing stressors. In nature, many fry, which do not receive parental care, tend to hide in the leaves or other biocover in their environment, and providing such natural conditions will certainly accommodate this behavior. Decomposing leaves can stimulate a certain amount of microbial growth with uh, infusoria and even forms of bacteria becoming potential food sources for fry. I've read a few studies where phototrophic bacteria were added to the diet of larval fishes, producing measurably higher growth rates. Now, I'm not suggesting that the you know, fry are going to gorge on the beneficial bacteria and microorganisms passively cultured in situ in your blackwater nursery and just grow exponentially faster. However, I am suggesting that it might provide some beneficial supplemental nutrition to no cost at you, for you. I've experimented with this idea of onboard food culturing in several aquarium systems over the years, which I've talked about a lot here, stocked heavily with leaves and twigs and other botanical materials for the sole purpose of culturing, maybe a better term is recruiting, biofilms, small crustaceans, etc. via decomposition. I've kept a few species of small kerosens in these systems with no supplemental feeding whatsoever, and I've seen these guys as fat as happy and happy as any I've ever kept. And it's the same with that beloved aquarium catch-all of infusoria that we just talked about. These organisms are likely to arise whenever plant matter decomposes in water, and in an aquarium with significant leaves and such, there's likely a higher population density of these ubiquitous organisms available to young fishes, right? Now, I'm not fooling myself into believing that the you know, large bed of decomposing leaves and botanicals in your aquarium will satisfy the total nutritional leaves of a batch of young you know, tetras or whatever, but it might provide the support for some supplemental feeding. On the other hand, I've been playing with the idea quite a bit recently in my Barzea setup, stocked with a rich compost of soil and decomposing leaves, rearing the annual killifish Nothalibius minimus with a great deal of success. It's essentially an evolved version of the jungle tanks I reared killies and lipers and when I was a kid. A sort of different look and a function, the so-called permanent setup in which the adults and fry typically coexist, with the fry finding food amongst the natural substrate and other materials present in your tank. Or, of course, you could just remove the parents after breeding. The choice is yours. It, it, I take the botanical-style nursery concept even a bit further by seeding the tank with some Daphnia and perhaps some other commonly available live freshwater crustaceans and letting them do their thing before the fry arrive. This way, you've got sort of makings of a little food web going on, and the small crustaceans will help feed off some of the available nutrients and lower life forms with the fish at the top of it all. Now, granted, I'm totally romancing this and probably oversimplifying it a bit. However, I think there's a compelling case to be made for creating a rearing tank that supports a di biologically diverse set of inhabitants for food sources. And perhaps it's not all that complicated an idea. The basis of it all would be leaves and some botanicals, which seem to do a better job at recruiting biofilms. I think these would be interesting items to include in a nursery tank. And of course, they provide shelter and foraging areas and park some tannins into the water. The usual stuff. It's fun to play with new ideas or evolve old ones like this. Maybe this won't be the ultimate fryering technique. However, it's just another one of those ideas that we do have in our arsenal of skills that'd be fun for a serious fish reader to experiment with. I think it's one that we have some seriously legit basis for playing with more and more. I say to the breeder who may have, for one reason or another, decided to use different foods to give this old school kind of method a, a, a try once in a while, not just because it works, but to help keep alive this direct link to the past of our fish keeping heritage, which is a more modern approach applied. And for that matter, let's continue to push into some new ground with the botanical style nursery approach too. It's worked well in nature for eons, so yeah, go old school and try a new twist too. Stay creative, stay diligent, stay observant, stay creative, stay dedicated, stay excited, and always stay wet. Until next time, 
This is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.